usually how I like to start these conversations is, is really about an individual's journey. And uh, I'm grateful enough when I get to, to chat with people, they're usually really working on something that's going to define a lot of their, their sort of life and career. And, and gratefully enough, when I talk to people, there's impact involved, right? So it's it's even more, it's even more amazing on a lot of levels. So uh, we're going to get to Karen Ware. But before that, I kind of wanted to chat about, you know, just your career journey and your journey through entrepreneurship to get to the point where uh, you wanted to, to start Karen Ware. Yeah, totally. Um, so I guess my journey of entrepreneurship probably began when I was five years old and uh, had a great business where I would use my parents' car wash supplies and offer to wash our neighbors' cars. Lemonade didn't really work on our street because the homes were too far spread apart, but car wash has always worked. And then unfortunately, uh, we gave someone the super special even though they didn't pay for it and put wax on their car and apparently their Saturn didn't allow wax oh, no. on it and so um, she threatened to sue us and our parents had to get involved and let her know that we're five years old and we were just trying to give ex it, it, it's great it's great to fail service. fail early right it's great to fail yeah early. exactly <laughs> fail early so my car wash career ended pretty quickly after that basically Kind of growing up, always loved the idea of building businesses and was awed by the amazing work that people were doing and how they were able to have an impact on the world beyond uh, just their business. And I think one of the greatest examples is Bill Gates. Um, I'm still an avid Microsoft user, probably the only uh, <laughs> entrepreneur and founder to say that I love Microsoft Excel and PowerPoint and Outlook. Um, I still use Outlook for all my emails, even though we're a Gmail platform. Um, <laughs> But just was blown away by how in his prime, he said, I'm going to focus on making the world a better place. And that kind of always resonated with me. Growing up, my parents had moved to the U.S. with no money, ended up being able to send my sister and I to school and creating a life where we didn't have to worry about money like they did. And we knew that there was always going to be food on the table and really being motivated by them. You know, like any traditional Indian in the 90s thought that I was going to be a doctor. Doctor uh, saw a colonoscopy in 11th grade, and when all the nurses and doctors were surrounding <laughs> me instead of the patient, I kind of realized that that was probably not my career. And so then uh, followed the path of my father of being in business and went to University of Virginia um, and was in the McIntyre School of Commerce. And over the summers, um, spent time as a consultant and an investment banker. Um, it was really sold that as a 22-year-old, I could tell CEOs what to do and <laughs> thought that was a really cool job. And so joined Strategy Consulting. Um, I'd also been pitched that you'd be staying in the Ritzes each and every day, et cetera. Um, my first project was in Rockford, Illinois, where we were really fortunate when the um, we were really fortunate when the Quality Inn was available um, and <laughs> still was blown away that someone's paying for my hotel sure. room and yeah. still to this day get excited to visit any any hotel, to be honest. Probably yeah, great the point. only consultant that would say that. But um, I just had a great experience and got to travel around the world and help companies create growth strategies. But at the end of the day, we were coming out with a strategy, but I wasn't getting to see it through. Mm -hmm. And that was something that really resonated with me and that I wanted to do. And so went to business school at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business mm -hmm. and participated in their new venture challenge. And that's where building a startup really started to resonate. Um, we ended up getting uh, offers 
of money to invest in our idea. Um, at the time, I was working on a mobile app that allowed you to open and close your bar and restaurant tab from your phone. A uh, huge problem. It's still a huge problem, school. right? Yeah, it's, it's still, still a, a huge problem. problem. Problem was no one on my team, myself included, knew how to code. Um, and yet we were <laughs> making a mobile app. So that was lesson number one, that you should have the core competency of what you yep. are trying to create, or at least you should be able to figure out how to do whatever you, you need to be doing. And we just weren't going to learn how to code a mobile app. Second thing was in terms of decision-making, uh, there was no clear structure for the company. Four of us were co-founders. We were equal partners and we did not have any sort of decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. basically had to be unanimous in all of our decisions and realize that's not a smart idea for building a company. And then I think third was at the end of the day, I wasn't super passionate about um, selling into bars nonstop for the rest of my yeah. life. And it's kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning of being able to be in a job that you're excited about and passionate about and being able to have an impact. And growing up, we always kind of live by the Gandhi quote of be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I, you know, I love, don't get me wrong, I guess I shouldn't say I love drinking. I love going to bars and restaurants. Um, I love being out with friends and family and loved ones, yeah. but I didn't want to be doing that for the next 50 years of my life. And um Somehow that led me to returning back to New York and doing investment banking at Goldman Sachs. Um, even though I had sworn that I would never move back to New York and never be a banker. So I figured why not go all the way? Um, <laughs> but all, all bad jokes aside, as growing up, every CEO that I was super impressed with really understood the numbers and really understood the financial implications of everything they were doing. And that was something yeah. that I really wanted to solve, like understand and know and no better place to learn that from Goldman. And I think after that, I was uh, finally ready to pursue uh, an entrepreneurial journey. Amazing. Was there, let, let's talk about what Karen Ware is first and, and sort of mm -hmm. where that idea came from. Cause I mean, it's kind of brilliant, right? Like once you like notice it, you're just like, how is this never created before? It was, yeah. it, it, it kind of really hit me a little bit because my, my nephew, you know, the first six months of his life, he was in a NICU. Oh, right? wow. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, unfortunately my, my mom was her last uh, two weeks were in a hospital, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. of cancer. And Sorry you know, I, I know sort of the, not only just the, the emotional toll and stuff like that, but but feeling comfortable yeah. is 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 a very tough thing in that environment, right? Totally. It's just not. It, it's just it's just a tough thing to accomplish. Um, so so that Several that's lives. why that so that's why this really kind of stood out to me. So so talk a little bit about what what Karen Ware is and, and kind of the, the mission it brings to the world. Totally. Um, so I started the company seven years ago. Honestly, it's probably the only time in my life I had no intention of creating a company. I had come up with ideas before I'd even created um, actual companies, um, like incorporated them. But this was the first time that it was truly to help someone and not really thinking about the long-term implications. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, in general, kind of honestly just had friends and family diagnosed with cancer, um, getting treatment through what's called a PIC line. Mm -hmm. A PIC line is an IV tube. It goes in your arm and connects to your heart. And I saw it really hit home when the younger brother of a friend of mine had it was a college student that suddenly his whole life was put on hold. Yeah. And he's being told by his nurses to wear a sock on his arm. 
And at the same time, I had um, family members that also had been getting treatment through pick lines told to wear socks on their arms. And as that, as I started to see that, I kind of took a step back and thought this, this really sucks. There's got to be something better. And when you think about it, cancer patients in general, in all patients, yeah. no one's really ever caring, kind of like what you're saying, no one's really focused on what you're wearing. Um, and you as the caregiver or loved one, you don't really know what to do unless you've been in that position before. And right. I, um, thankfully myself am not a cancer patient and I had never been in the, in their shoes before. And I didn't know what I could do, but I knew getting them chocolate that they might not be able to enjoy mm. or getting yeah. them flowers that are only going to survive for a limited period of time. Isn't inspirational. It's not motivational. It's not something that's going to remind them that they can be themselves and that there's, um, a likelihood that they will not only survive this, but come out better on the other side and be an inspiration to all of us. And um, so I started just working on a better sock, basically, mm. and was very fortunate to be connected with the teams at Johns Hopkins and UVA um, and started working with them to create a better tube sock. And kind of while we were doing that, I took a step back and realized whenever you go to the hospital, everything has always been focused on function and not on how it looks or how it makes you feel. And mm -hmm. really just wanted to build a brand in the healthcare space. And yeah. today we're, we're really fortunate to be reimagining how the world looks at and feels about healthcare and kind of bridging function and fashion together, which I'm really excited about. How was this first conversations you know, a sock is sort of one thing because it's really, yeah, it's not sort of outward facing, right? Like, I love sort of the the, the sweaters, right? And, and the sort of top facing comfort and also the enhancements and innovation within fashion, just, just in general, right? Like how it unzips yeah. and the pick line. I just thought it was a really, it, it was a really great way to, to look at function and comfortability for people just don't th think about that, right? It, it's right. so, it, it, and again, I'm going back to when you know, I was in, in the hospital with my families and, and it's, yeah. you do see sort of, you know, maybe it's like the drool on the sweater or the blood stains everywhere. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, there is something about feeling comfortable when you're walking around or going to the bathroom. Cause it's, everything's such a struggle. Right. And, uh, you know, my mom would have loved this because she was in, uh, she was, she works at, she worked at Saks Fifth Avenue for 30 years. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. so she had she had always had an appreciation for for designers and things like that. I know she she would have loved she would have loved the uh, Oscar De La Renta sort of partnership. So yeah. maybe talk about how you see the the world sort of gravitating to care where whether it's nonprofit organizations partnering NBA MLB and, and obviously you know Oscar De La Renta is one of the you know the, the biggest fashion brands in the world. How, do those come to you or do you seek out these partnerships? you know, to, to come into the care and wear ecosystem? Yeah, totally. Um, it's a great, um, great question. And um, back in the early days, we definitely were reaching out. Um, now we're actually getting a lot of inbounds. Um, but I guess taking a step back, how we even get to there, um, that first time when I was redesigning that tube sock, as you said, is very an inwards thing. And quite frankly, I... I didn't know why people are being told to wear a tube sock. And so the biggest thing I learned is you have to ask questions of the people that know the answers. And 
that is how we have now designed what we say is our unique proprietary design process. Um, the real honest truth is our design process is get smart people in the room. And um, Great we've process. now created... Yeah, right. Um, we've now created a three-pronged approach. And so first and foremost, we're always working with clinicians. Um, growing up, my mom's an anesthesiologist. Growing up, she would always talk to me about how important nurses were and how they were the standard of care. And they were the ones really ensuring that the patient was getting the best care possible. And so I've learned from an early stage that Nurses are some of the most important people in the world, and we've been really fortunate to work with a lot of amazing nurses. And so that first time around working with the nursing teams from Hopkins and UVA, really to allow you to create a medically superior product. So when you think about why, to your question of why are people going to go to Karenware, why are they coming to us over someone else? It's the fact that our products are medically superior. And selfishly, that quite transparently is also allowing us to get unique IP. Um, and so we're able to protect ourselves from others that are trying to Huge. copy our products. Secondly, is getting the end user involved in the design process. So mm -hmm. In the pick line cover case, it's getting pick line patients, both former and current, involved in the design and development. Um, in the NICU case, um, we have worked with not only obviously having actual babies, um, but babies find it very difficult to give you feedback, either they're crying or they're not, um, especially in the NICU. And so working with their caregivers and those around them as well, because kind of like you were talking about your nephew, you want to celebrate the fact that your family just had a new baby join the world. You don't want to be stressed that, hey, this baby might not, might not make it, right? And you want something that's going to celebrate the fact that a new baby has joined the world. Um, and so having the end user involved is super important. And then lastly, is bringing in that fashion and manufacturing and design background. And so creating scalable products that are allowing us to create um, something that we can replicate at scale and then working kind of like what you said, working with the preeminent designers in the world. And um, I'm actually wearing the Oscar de la Renta collaboration that you were mentioning. Yes. Um, and they have been an amazing partner. Um, we've done two collaborations to date with them and we're, we're excited about all the opportunities we have to work together um, with them. For them, this is super personal as well. As you may or may not know, Oscar actually passed away himself from cancer. And so it was something that their team saw firsthand because Oscar would wow. complain yeah. about how difficult it is to access the port. And so being able to bring in that perspective has been super important. And I think taking that three-pronged approach has really allowed us and enabled us to become one of the innovative leaders in the space rather quickly. And then we, to your point on working with amazing nonprofit organizations, from the get-go, I said that I want a large percentage to be going back to nonprofits. Every, It feels like every startup says we are giving 1% of our yeah. profits back to nonprofits. And I thought that 1% <laughs> was kind of a BS number. Mm -hmm. um, and so we came up with 10%. And is 10% the right number? Honestly, I don't know. But I wanted it to be meaningful. And I wanted people to know that we're putting our money where our mouth is. And we are donating, whether it's dollars or product, 
to those in need and being able to make a broader impact in the world has been super important. And as we've grown our team, it's not only a dollar give back that's important, but also time and energy. So whether it's volunteering or being able to provide inspiration to those in need, um, it's something that we're really grateful to be in the position uh, to be able to help others. You mentioned that you had uh, asked questions early on. I think it's a great sort of lesson in, in sort yeah. of any business model or entrepreneurship journey, right? Is it, it sounds simple, but you know, ask questions and and you shall receive answers, right? So, what were some of the initial feedback or that first feedback that that you got? You know, from whether it was at, at Hopkins or it was from yeah. doctors, nurses, who whoever it may be. Totally. Um, Yeah. And the ask questions mantra is one that I'm still learning today and our team is still learning. So I just want to be perfectly candid that we're still not perfect at that. Um, And I don't think we'll ever be perfect at that. Um, But uh, I still remember we had been working on this version of a pick line cover for about a year, um, the first version and showed up to the nurses at Hopkins really excited. I was like, look at this amazing invention. I've created and they're like, oh, this is super comfortable. And then they're all like, yeah, but we would never use this. And I was just like, did I just waste a year of my life? What is going on here? And learned that they would never use it because the dressing that you wear over a pick line actually requires air for it to function. And Mm. so the dressing won't work if you don't have air getting to it. And it was something super interesting to learn. And that really taught me to ask questions from the get-go and really make sure that we're leveraging the clinicians. And so as I then immediately asked, why why won't it work? Why does it need air? And they Mm -hmm. kind of explained the properties of the dressing. And then another was like, yeah, and we want to be able to see the pick line site because if there's leakage or infection, we need to get this resolved pretty quickly. And what I learned is depending on what source you believe, there's 12 to 25% of all pick line insertions have some sort of infection or dislodgement. Yeah. And that's a really high number. It right? really is. Yeah. When you think about it, over 6 million people are getting a pick line placed every year and So, and I wish I could do math in my head, but that's over a million and a half people a year are going to potentially need a new pick line place Mm -hmm. and need to be monitoring and they're at risk. And so um, that's how I learned, hey, you need some sort of breathability and visibility. And growing up in Baltimore, um, lacrosse is a big sport. And Mm -hmm. so um, I kind of Somewhat as a joke, to be honest, was like, well, how about like the mesh, like a lacrosse stick mesh yeah. or like a baseball glove um, mesh? And they were like, actually, that could work if you could yeah. make it more breathable, that would work. And that's how we got our first patent was uh, just <laughs> saying, thinking outside of the box and saying, how about some sort of breathability and visibility? Um, and now today we found uh, one of the world's leading hospital systems has been using our pick covers for over three years, and they've um, seen a 78% decline in migrations, which um, leads to lots of dollars of savings, I guess is probably the understatement of a decade, but um, yeah. while also improving the patient experience. And today, to your point, we now have really cool partnerships, like you can wear your favorite baseball team. We have different colors and designs. Um, one of my favorite um, memories is actually being able to help an amazing customer go to her senior prom. She wanted to wear 
a sleeveless dress uh, to her prom as every senior should be able to and didn't want everyone to be staring at her arm the entire prom night. And um, she reached out and was like, hey, I have this gray dress. Can I, can you help me? Um, Can we do something together? And I was like, and she was like, what is the Pantone color of your uh, slate pick line cover? And so um, we had slate is our version of gray. And I was able to kind of exchange pictures with her and everything like FaceTimed her so she could see it. And she was like, I think this will work. I don't really know my size. And I was like, don't worry. Well, you can buy both sizes and we'll, um, you can just send whichever one you don't, doesn't work back. And um, she was able to go to her senior prom and live her life. And I think that that is just a reminder of the amazing work that we've been able to do. And today we've been able to deliver millions of units uh, to people in need and um, really, really proud of um, being able to help each and every person. And there's still so much more uh, that we can do. I love the example of not in the hospital, right? Because I think we're we're thinking of cancer patients and, and Nick, you, you know, it's, it's, it's inward, it's, it's in the hospital f- facility, mm-hmm. but taking that idea outward and, and into the world, I think that's really interesting. And then obviously you could scale to a lot more people that, that need access to these type of, uh, of products. What are some of the other, um, maybe like illnesses or uh, diseases that people face, not maybe not just cancer and not just sort of NICU patients, but other things that, that patients face that, that these sort of products can be functional for? Yeah, um, I mean, every product is different. So like the PICLINE covers is basically anyone that needs to get intravenous um, medication or nutrition into their body over an elongated period of time. And so a couple of examples would be um, anyone that um, has Lyme, um, anyone that mm-hmm. has TPN, which is total parental nutrition, Honestly, sometimes when you're pregnant, you'll need IV over an elongated period of time. And so you use the pick, but kind of thinking about it from a grander scale, now we have a patient count and that is for every single person that walks into the hospital. And when you think about it, if you've ever had to go yourself, or I know you've mentioned your loved ones being Mm -hmm. in the hospital Mm -hmm. and first thing they're given is a gown that's exposing their backside. And when you think about most people aren't excited to go to a hospital. Most people are terrified of yeah. what potentially could happen. And you're starting that journey by providing something that you're already losing your dignity. You're already losing your comfort and your support. Yep. And so we partnered um, with Parsons School of Design to actually teach a class a few years ago focused on redesigning the patient gown. So making hmm. sure that your backside is no longer exposed. And so we worked with 10 amazing students, um, nine hospital systems, commercial launderers, and then even Donna Karen and Kay Younger um, to redesign the patient gowns so that your backside's not exposed. And we ended up being able to develop an all-in-one gown to replace the nine different types of patient gowns wow. that hospitals use today. And more importantly, not only from a SKU adjustment, but just from a patient experience and dignity experience, we've seen 
monumental increase in happiness and comfort mm-hmm. and support. And they always say there's all these studies that show the color of the walls in hospitals and how that impacts your care. Yeah. When you think about it, if if the color is impacting you so much, why like how much more can what you're wearing actually impact mm-hmm. you and how can that make it a better experience? And so for us at Karen, we're, we're really focused on helping every single person, both inside and outside of the hospital, and being able to do whatever we can to help improve that experience. You had uh, mentioned that you asked questions earlier, right? When when yeah. you were doing, when you were redesigning the the patient gown, what were mm-hmm. what was the answer to why did you need to have an exposed backside, right, for hospital? Yeah. Patients? It's a great question. And what we learned is right now for bed bound patients, you aren't really able to, you're bed bound, right? So you're in a bed. And the reason for the exposed backside is while those represent maybe 20 to 25% of the patients overall that are seen day in and day out by a hospital, they represent 50 plus percent of the usage of gowns. And um, for a bedbound patient, you don't want the friction of the gown rubbing off against the mattress to create like basically the equivalent of a rope burn on your body. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why it's exposed is because mm-hmm. you're really using it more as a blanket rather than as a gown per se. And hospitals historically have focused on that because they have not they haven't wanted to just provide a blanket to you you technically want to be wearing something etc and so what we did with our gown is we made it fully reversible so Hmm. for the 75 plus percent of patients that are not bed bound they now can have comfort and dignity and support and for the bed bound patients you still have the ability to wear it like an a traditional gown and be able to cover yourself and keep yourself a little more warm without putting you at risk of um, the additional burn from friction of the fabric against the mattress. And so to your point, the only way we found that out was by asking questions. And we ended up having a ton of clinicians, laundry and linens, mm-hmm. uh, administrators, et cetera, involved as well as patients and putting them all in the rooms together really, really helped build a great product. But The honest truth is it's not a final product and we are always iterating. I think um, one of my favorite examples is Gmail. Um, I don't know if you're a Gmail user, but um, for, uh, I mean, I feel like at this point everyone is, but you always have to throw that disclaimer, especially because we're not mad for Gmail. But um, when you think about it for the first five years, Gmail used to have beta in their logo. And that's pretty powerful. I remember right? that. You have hundreds of millions of people using your product and you're saying this is not a final version. Mm. And what I say, and it's probably a nightmare to any fashion designer that works with us or hears this from me, is there's no such thing as a final version for Karenware either. We are always asking for feedback. We're always iterating on our product and always improving on the product. And I think that's a large reason that so many hospitals want to work with us, so many patients want to work with us is because it's not just a buy-sell relationship, but rather it's a we're all in this together and we're going to make this a better product. And a great example is our pick line covers. Um, When we started, our mesh window was a little darker than what it is today. The honest truth is as a patient, you can't even tell the difference. But as a clinician, we've been able to make it a little easier to see. 
And so now it, if there's leakage or if there's infection, they can identify it more quickly if you're in the hospital. And so it's small incremental step changes like that that actually have a monumental impact on the care of the um, patient. And I think that it's trying to take that mentality. And so what we always tell our factories is just FYI, we will likely have minor nits and changes for you every single production run. So every time mm. the factory line is moving, we're likely going to have something different. And yeah, are there, is that causing a little larger need? Like economies of scale technically yeah. are a little more difficult to come by, but that's super important to me. And it's super important to our manufacturing partners as well. I want to talk a little bit about the like the textiles and actual you know sort of materials and when you were asking questions what did you find came to be sort of the best material to use right lightweight breathable I, i'm assuming a lot of these these highlight words came yeah. up but i'm sure you went through a lot of iterations of, of actually what textiles to use right maybe what doesn't irritate the skin more than others i'm sure i'm sure you went down a discovery road with that yeah, um, I now know way more about fabric <laughs> than I ever did, um, and I'm still at the low end of that spectrum. So there's still a long ways to go. But um, thankfully, now we have a team and we have experts on our team that breathe this inside and outside. Um, the re the real truth is, it varies pretty dramatically by product. So, um, for example, on our pick line covers, we used to have a 95-5 blend of 95% cotton, 5% lycra. Um, and over time, we've evolved that to be a 92-8 blend, or it's 92% cotton, 8% lycra. And 3% doesn't seem like that much um, mm -hmm. or that big of a change, but it's actually pretty dramatic in terms of stretchability of the sleeve and of the cover. And one thing that's really interesting is every single person's arm size is quite different, right? Mm, like yeah. I'm, I'm a tennis player. So um, that's my excuse for not having big muscles. Um, <laughs> and so I'm 6'2", but, and I wear like a larger, extra large shirt, but my arm size is actually a quote unquote medium. What we have learned is helping to educate the end user and patient on how to properly measure the arm is really important, but then mm. also being able to slide up more easily, but then keeping it in place um, by allowing it to stretch a little. When we started, I was really, really worried about what's called a DVT, which is uh, deep vein thrombosis, and was worried that if we were putting too much pressure on the arm, we would right. cause that. Yeah. And all of our nursing and doctor partners just laughed at me and they were like, this is definitely not going to cause a DVT. Um, but kind of learned that by listening to feedback from patients and just being paranoid about it at the beginning. And now it's definitely a little stretchier. On patient gowns, we used to do the traditional blend that many um, gowns have, which is a 60-40 CVC cotton poly blend where 60% is cotton and 40% poly um, polyester. Um, and what we learned is that actually wrinkles quite a lot and right. cotton wrinkles, right? And especially for something like a gown, you don't want to have to cause a lot of time spent on ironing. And so we've actually mm. evolved our gowns now to be 100% polyester. It allows it to be a little thinner. It allows it to be lighter for the patient. And for the commercial launderers, it actually saves 10 minutes of drying time. And so that's a pretty wow. substantial cost savings for the launderers because it dries more quickly. And most importantly, it doesn't wrinkle. 
And so for you as a patient, you no longer are wearing a completely wrinkled gown looking like a slob, but rather you look a little better just because it's not wrinkled. And so it's that kind of thought process needs to be included in the fabrication process and picking what fabric we want to use. And then it's just iterating with our our three-pronged approach, our whole team, right? Our nurses and doctors, our patients or end users and our designers and working together to find the best fabric possible. When you when you were talking to nurses and doctors and, and obviously patients, ha- mm-hmm. have the other side said, hey, you know, you're really good at doing this product line for, for patients, but can you design something for us? Meaning the nurses and the doctors and the surgeons and right, the people who are working with all this stuff, is there a way to actually improve their comfortability and their environment? Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question and one that kind of came to the forefront in the middle of COVID. So when you think about yeah. it, when COVID hit, we started hearing all these horror stories about how hospitals were getting scammed left and right. One hospital system told us how they bought 10 million rubber yeah. bands thinking that they were buying N95s. Mm. Another told us how they bought a million pieces of tissue paper thinking that they were buying level one masks. Uh, We joked if only they had bought toilet paper, they would have actually made a profit from that transaction. But um, nonetheless, just hearing all these horror stories and we as a company said, this is horrific. We can do something to help support them. And so we ended up helping over 50 hospital systems and governments in the last year uh, get PPE for the front lines. And we, for the city of New York here where we live and others, we actually designed isolation gowns in collaboration with Global Brands Group, uh, a big fashion house here in New York to keep them protected. And we actually started manufacturing in the US. Uh, Congresswoman Maloney actually started featuring us as part of her Made in America PPE initiative. And so we now have the ability and have actually already created products to help clinicians as well. And for us, the big thing is always when we want to design a product, how can we make something that's unique and differentiated? And that at the end of the day is our driving force is what can we do to make this better? And we're never going to make a product just to make the product. And if we're going to create a face mask, for example, we're going to make sure that our face masks are unique. And we actually do now sell face masks um, Uh, for the consumer. And those are more medical than non, like we have multiple layers um, that provide for the equivalent of a level one disposable surgical mask uh, on our kind of consumer facing non-medical masks. And so for us, that's what we're really focused on is creating products that really allow you to feel safe and comfortable and secure. I wanted to go uh, end on maybe uh, two questions. And the mm-hmm. first the first I'll have is, what's sort of the, the pitch to the hospitals and has it gotten easier? Because it, it seems like it is the pitch uh, save them money? Is it patient care? Like what, I guess, where are some of the, the pain points they have that, you know, you're solving for them and, and has the pitch got easier over time as you've grown? Yeah. Um, if you have any suggestions, I'm all leaving. No, I'm kidding. Um, we, the real answer is it's, it's everything, right? So when you think about it, especially today, hospitals have just spent billions upon billions of dollars to protect their front lines. They have not had 
the revenue generating patients that they historically had in the last year. Many people have put off surgeries. Many people have put off whatever possible uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And so cost is definitely going to be very, very important. Us as a brand, we have always strived to be the brand that is creating a product at the same price or less than what you're paying today. That's both on the consumer side as well as on the hospital side. Um, And so that's something that has just been built into our DNA and built into what we're creating. But then secondly, it's not only that, but it's the being able to demonstrate clinical outcomes, being able to demonstrate improved yeah. patient experience. And then it's just having great partners that are willing and eager to serve as references for us. Um, we uh, now work with over 80 hospital systems hmm. around the U.S., and um, they have been amazing at telling others about how great we are and really <laughs> yeah. promoting, promoting us for us. And that's obviously the best Word of mouth is always the best advertising that you can get. And having hospitals and launderers call each other and say, hey, you really should work with these guys has really allowed us to to grow like crazy. And then I think in the last year, just given the pandemic and given that we were able to come through when others weren't and we were open and communicative, a lot of these hospital systems now want to work with us because they found that we are in it together and they're not alone. And um, there was one guy from a very large hospital system that for the first three months of the pandemic, him and I talked five times a day. We were each other's first call at 5 a.m. and our last call at 2 a.m. and talking numerous times in between. And it was just that camaraderie that we built when we're both in the middle of battle, right? Like we Uh, were doing whatever we could to help protect those on the front lines and providing updates to clinicians and make a difference together was super, super important and kind of at the heart of what we're doing. So is it easier? I think the, the conversations are happening more quickly is probably the honest truth, but it's the same kind of pitch. It's nothing has changed from that perspective. I think it's also... Just being able now to say that, yes, we can deliver millions a month is something obviously I couldn't say in day one, seven years ago. And so I think that that has helped as well. But I think it's just wanting to work together and being accessible. I always like to joke that I'm not only the CEO, but I'm also the mailroom attendant and the janitor of the company. And (laughs) everyone thinks it's super cool that they're talking to the CEO. But again, we're, we're a small team, right? Like we've grown a lot. We're at 15 now, we're going to be larger. But at the end of the day, that's still much smaller than companies with 100,000 employees. And so really letting people know that they can, they have a difference in how we, what we create and how we create it, I think is really important. Well, last question, I'll really just end on, on the future and kind of what you're optimistic about and maybe what are some of the, the goals you, you hope to achieve with the team and, and with the company over the next maybe, you know, three to five years. What are you excited about? I mean, I'm excited about a lot right now. Like, first of all, founders are always excited, but now I'm really excited. I think it's the opportunity to really make a difference and to help those in need. And that has been our driving force from day one is 
How do we help inspire those around us? What can we do to help people get back to feeling like humans again? And I think the excitement now is that this industry is becoming more and more aware. People yeah. are really excited about it. You see big companies entering the world. Um, Nike last year launched a shoe line for nurses. Tommy Hilfiger has created an adaptive line. Um, you're seeing all these great brands that historically um, have been really well known come into the space. We obviously work with Oscar de la Renta, which, as you said, is one of the most preeminent fashion design houses in the world. Um, and the fact that they are not only um, excited to do this, but super passionate about this. Uh, our collaboration is driven by the leaders of Oscar, Alex and Eliza. Eliza is the daughter of Oscar. Like this is super personal to everyone. And when you think about it, everyone has had someone in the hospital. Everyone knows someone that has been impacted, whether it's a broken bone, cancer, diabetes, or even tennis elbow. Going back to my tennis days, there's so much that can be done and we are not going to rest. We are not going to stop until um, that happens, which means we're never going to stop, right? Because with technology, people are living longer, um, but having more medical issues arise. And I think the world is just beginning in terms of what we can do to improve the healthcare experience and how we can start to make people be able to wear their normal clothing, quote unquote, right, um, in the hospital. And that's what we're really at the forefront of doing is allowing you to feel like nothing is different, allowing you to get back to going to work, um, running, watching TV, going to the movies, eating out. And I think that we're just at the beginning. Amazing, man. Thank, thank you so much, Chad, for taking the time. Uh, I really, I just love the story and and the journey is, is obviously been sort of long and asking questions along the way, right? Even even uh, back in the car washing days, you know, it was, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I appreciate you taking the time and the work that you're doing. I know it's a, it's tough dealing with, with hospitals and, and sort of governments. I know it's a slow moving, I, I think why, why we've seen sort of the innovation be very slowed down in, in those places of, of sort of government and, and sort of hospitals and these big sort of robust sectors that have a lot of red tape. It's very hard to innovate and, and get better at, at the systems, but it, it takes innovative thought leaders like you and your team and, and the designers you brought in. Um, I, I mean, I think it's it's such a great space to, to be in and to finally see innovation uh, and tech come into a lot of these, a lot of these areas is, is it really makes it optimistic. You know, it, it really does make it optimistic. So, appreciate you and the team for for building it man and keep the grind up and best of luck yeah no thank you so much and thank you for building such an incredible community and yeah no we're we're always eager to do more and always looking for feedback and advice and really really excited uh for everything that's to come over uh the next months years decades centuries etc